Well, well, good morning. Have you, have you all noticed, well, first of all, I'm Pastor Brad, and I'm on the staff here as the interim lead pastor, and you, you probably know that by now if you're watching online or even in the building, but one of the reasons why I repeat that is to remind myself that I'm just a short-term person, and I, uh, I, I kind of joke about it. When, when I start at a church, I already know my end date, so I'm effectively fired uh, right when I start, which is an odd way to think about it, but it's true. Um, anyway, um, have you noticed that this holiday season, this Christmas season, Advent, has been a little different than usual? Have you, no- have you noticed that? Yeah, okay. Um, it, it, was, uh, it, it became clear to me on Friday when uh, Roxy, my wife, and I, we drove, uh, what is it, a couple, couple hours, two and a half hours up to Omaha, and we celebrated Christmas with our two boys in the hotel where we stayed and uh, we kept social distance, and we wore masks, and we took them off to eat, and then put them back on, you know, all the things that are, that are uh, annoying to all of us. And um, uh, my wife had, for weeks in advance, prepared gifts that she wanted to give to each one of our children, and, uh, and it occurred to me when I was sitting there watching this all happen that uh, uh, my wife sort of orchestrated this. And we got back in the car yesterday morning, and we were back in Kansas City by noon. So it was a quick up to Omaha, celebrate Christmas with my, my boys, and back here yesterday. And I thought to myself, as I observed the, the, the surprise and the joy that my um, young adult sons had in receiving gifts, of course, we all like gifts, but 20-something boys love gifts as well. And it occurred to me that this is what a mother's love looks like. They plan for weeks, they prepare, they wrap gifts, they, uh, they put them in the car, we drive three hours, we celebrate, and we drive three hours home. That's what a mother's love looks like. Well, with that in mind, let's uh, read the scripture for today, which comes from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38, and we're going to take a look at another kind of mother's love in this passage that will not be unfamiliar to you, but we will read it together. Um, It's a number of slides, so if you're watching this at home, don't dismay. There'll be a number of uh, uh, slides of, of scripture that you can follow along. Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. This is what a mother's love looks like. I love Mary. Probably of all of the, of the characters in the, the, the Christmas narrative, I am fascinated by the story of Mary in this Christmas story more than all of the others. And, and you've heard me talk over the last few weeks about some of the others, which are, are fascinating characters as well. But uh, the other characters in this, in this drama, they all, if you think about it, have really kind of peripheral roles. The shepherds, the wise men, an innkeeper, and even Joseph. They all, they all play bit parts in this story that revolves around Mary who gives birth to a baby, Jesus, to be exact. Now, you can remove all of these other characters that I've described from this story and the essential sort of uh, storyline, the trajectory of the story remains the same. But if you remove the character of Mary from this story, there is no story, Right? What, what, what makes Mary such an important character for me is the fact that there's, there's nothing really special about her except for her remarkable ordinariness. Do you, do you see that? She is a typical young Jewish woman who lives in first century Palestine. She was probably part of a much larger family that has uh, brothers and sisters. Um, it was likely that Mary was in her teens, uh, which was sort of the typical age of when women were betrothed to be married in that day. Mary's future, in fact, uh, sort of hinged on whether or not her husband could provi provide for her. So that was sort of every young woman's hope and dream that they would, they would be betrothed and get married because if you, if you were not um, married in that culture, um, the only women who were not married in that culture were typically um, widows and prostitutes. Now it's a little different in our culture, I understand that, but I'm just trying to paint a picture for you about this remarkably ordinary young woman. So, so Mary receives this visit from a messenger for God, from God who informs her that she is highly favored. Now, have any of you been told by your boss or your spouse, you know, uh, honey, I highly favor you? I mean, it's not, it's not something that we would typically say to one another, right? Uh, and yet, yet and, I, and I don't think it was t that typical of a phrase for Mary. And the reason I say that is because of the way that she responded to this angel's message. Kind of like, huh? So Mary is told that she is highly favored and she naturally is concerned about this. And then the angel reminds Mary a second time that she has in fact indeed found favor with God. So what does it mean to, to find favor with God? What, what is, what's that about? Well, uh, Father Richard Rohr observes that the word favor doesn't say anything about the recipient Favor says something about the one who's doing the favoring. 
So it's really not an evaluation of Mary. It's saying something about God's choosing Mary. She's the one who is the absolutely perfect receiver and refuses to play the Lord, I am not worthy card, which is often the case in most biblical theophanies where a character encounters a divine being. She simply states, let it be unto me. She, she lets God do all of the giving. Her job is to receive such perfect giving. That's what Richard War says. What makes Mary such a remarkable uh, woman is that she is not clamoring for God's favor. She's not going out looking for it. She's not, she's not trying to impress anybody, not to mention God at this point. She is simply going about her daily routine, her business, with a faithful and willing heart to be available to God. And you know where I'm going with this, right? It's in the midst of this ordinary faithfulness that God finds favor with Mary. And this Ordinary faithfulness is not something that is exclusively Mary's, that we just remind ourselves of on sort of an annual basis when the preacher stands up and talks about the birth narrative. This ordinary faithfulness it can be something that we embody, you and I, during this Christmas season, but we'll get, we'll get uh, more into that in a minute. One of the things that I think this birth narrative suggests to us, for those of us who've been around the church for a while, and sometimes we hear these stories and we've heard them so many times that the impact of them lessens over time, if we're not careful. Um, One of the things I think is going on here is that in this story, there is a subtext um, that, that conception is more than giving birth. The angel continues, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now now that uh, Mary has heard this, she has reason to be troubled by this. This stranger tells her that she is going to give birth to a son. Now, if you think about this exchange just for a moment, it's a pretty remarkable claim. First century medicine may not have had access to the same top-notch gynecological medicine that we do, but I suspect Mary understood that conceiving a child involved a little more than a friendly visit from an angel who was announcing this truth to her. And knowing this, Mary's only response could be, how can this be, right? Right? So there's nothing unusual about a response. And the angel gives, gives Mary a quick, what I would like to call a quick prenatal lesson uh, on divine conception and tells Mary her cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant. So she's not alone in this. Loretta Ross Goda observes that the word conceive is, is an active verb. Its Latin root means to seize, to take hold of. Mary is not just a passive container in which the Savior of the world is born, but she is able to take hold of God. That's what this story is about. 
Mary is a willing participant in God's plan to give birth to the Savior of the world, and that is the reason why she is blessed among women. Now, being a a willing participant with God doesn't end with Mary. As I uh, intimated a moment ago, each of us, man, woman, and children, both in this room and online, has the same opportunity this this Christmas season to make ourselves available, willing participants to be a dwelling place for God. We can take hold of God this Christmas season. And in the midst of all of the craziness that this past year has involved and all of the uh, disruptions that uh, living in a pandemic has caused our Christmas celebrations, even as I described ours in a hotel lobby, you know, overnight a couple nights ago, in the midst of all that, we can still be people who take hold of God this holiday season. You know, sometimes I think we, we... we believe that we need to work uh, to achieve, to, to make Christmas somehow come to us. Which is to say, we are the ones that are bringing about the redemption of the world, right? If we work hard enough, if we make, if we make the Christmas decorations beautiful enough, if everything turns out just the way it, we hope it would, then Christmas will be here. Then it will feel like Christmas All God really needs for this Christmas to be an extraordinary Christmas, and I want you to hear this, all God needs are are willing participants who are willing to make themselves available to God, a place of safety, a loving heart. Another word to describe this idea of being a willing participant is sanctuary. You know, so here, here we are, some of us, sitting in this sanctuary. And sanctuary is an interesting word because by its very nature, the word sanctuary means a lot of things, but it means it's a place of protection. It's a place where we encounter the divine, if you will. And by making herself available to God, Mary became, on that day, a sanctuary for God. And and every Christmas since, Jesus has been born into the world in the hearts of those who are willing to relinquish their lives without reservation to God, a God who is looking for sanctuary, a place to dwell. Have you thought about that? Have you read this passage before with this kind of, uh, of way of thinking? Just like Mary, God asks us to make ourselves available to become dwelling places for God. That, that's what this story is ultimately about, folks. And the greatest gift that we, ha- we have to offer this Christmas season is not our skills and it's not our resources or our abilities, it's us. It's, it's our willingness in our remarkable ordinariness to make ourselves available to God this Christmas season. The, the greatest gift that Mary had to offer was a willing and open heart, and that's the same gift that we 
have to offer this holiday season. And when you think about it, that, that's all of us. That's all, that's all we ever have. Uh, the rest is going to burn eventually at some point. And when everything is said and done, all that God is asking from us this Advent and Christmas season is that we recognize that we are participants in this, this act of redemptive love of God, which, which is the celebration of Christmas, right? This is what it's all about to begin with. And, and rather than running around, and I, and I know this Christmas is different for all of us, rather than running around trying to make God's love visible this Christmas season, like, like Mary, why don't we just wait? Why don't we wait and wonder? And, and why don't we become participants in this, the greatest act of redemptive love in the history of the world? Why don't we do that this Christmas? It might look different. It might feel a little different. We might uh, have to be a little further apart from the people whom we love. But that doesn't matter. In the end, this is what love looks like. Give this a try, this holiday, if you want. Leave the Christmas decorations in the attic. Go to someone and say, hi, all I have to offer you is the love of Jesus. See if that's enough. Imagine a Christmas where a global pandemic limits our access to the sanctuary. <laughs> Wait a second, we don't have to imagine that. That's true. Imagine a Christmas that is, is silent of holiday carols, as beautiful as they are. What if Christmas Eve people came and sat in the dim light and someone stood up and said, something happened here while we were all out at the malls, while we were baking cookies, while we were fretting about what gift to buy our son-in-law because we don't know what they need or what they want. And while we were out scurrying around, attending to all of these other matters, Christ was born. We wouldn't need all of the glorious courses. We wouldn't have to deny the painful sort of dissonance between the promise of Christmas and this world that's, that's racked with sin. There wouldn't be a need for some bow-tied preacher to stand up and, and help us get into the Christmas mood, right? I'd be unnecessary. All of this is superfluous to what happened in the stillness of Mary's heart that day when she met the angel. There, there's a kind of love that Mary embodies in her response to the angel that is larger and deeper than, than any of us can, can understand. And it's in the presence of this love that Mary exhibits on this particular day and, in, and throughout her, her life, really, that, that we are hushed and we are awed by something greater and something wiser and something kinder. And all we can do, like Mary, is kneel in the presence of the God who is born in each of us. And we would be filled with the fullness of God, just like Mary. See, Mary doesn't have anything on us. She was remarkably ordinary. And if I had the time and went around this room and asked you, 
How would you describe yourself? Most of you would say, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty ordinary too. That's why I like the story of Mary. Few of us, though, as we think about this unexpected love that comes uh, in this holiday season, few of us have the courage and the faith to, to mess around with our hallowed Christmas traditions. But what, what if, instead of doing stuff uh, this Christmas season, we decided to be something rather than doing being? What if we decided to be the containers in which the redemptive love of, of God is born, just like Mary? Now that would be unexpected love, wouldn't it? What if we made ourselves a sanctuary of God, willing to give birth to this new life, a dwelling place for God? This is what love looks like. This is the meaning of the incarnation, uh, God with us. And with love that looks like this, think about it for a moment, folks. There is no telling what God will do in us and through us this Christmas season. Are you ready to take the chance and set aside some of your expectations? Are you willing to see yourself in your remarkable ordinariness, uh, just like Mary, as a dwelling place for God and, and as a vehicle through whom the profound incarnational love of God can be shared with a world that needs it? I, I hope there's some folks here, some folks watching online that can see themselves in that place this Christmas season. Let's pray together. It gives me hope, God, that, um, that I don't have to be spectacular in order to be used by you, even as Mary was not spectacular. In fact, it gives me hope this Christmas season, even with all of the, the nuttiness going around us in our, in, our, um, in our pandemic culture, that there is still the opportunity for each of us to be open to and available to be a dwelling place for you. And what that might look like in terms of how we celebrate, how we encounter our loved ones this holiday season, uh, how many gifts we uh, can, can wrap and give to family and friends, that doesn't matter. God, my hope is that, that we, as your people in 2020, as weird as this year has been, can honestly look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I am extraordinarily ordinary, and because of that, God can dwell in me. That's, that's my hope for us this day, oh God. That's my hope for this church. That's my hope for this country, that we would be a place that, that uh, was a dwelling place for God. In his name I pray.